If you have your Bible with you tonight, turn with me again to Revelation chapter 1. Uh, Revelation chapter 1. And we're just going to commence to read at verse 9. <clears throat> Thank you for coming tonight. Revelation chapter 1. And commencing to read again at verse 9. And I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And down to verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were as white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet uh, like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death, and we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Just bow with me just one moment in prayer again, please. Father, we just come and we just still ourselves in thy presence again today. We thank thee for the hymns that we have sang. We thank you for the hymns that our brother has sang to us a moment or two ago. And now, Father, we just come to your word and we ask, Lord, that you will give divine help from the sanctuary that indeed that we'll be conscious of thy presence, Lord, coming into the, our little gathering tonight. And so we take authority over every demon and every spirit, Lord, that seek to hinder, and every influence that would seek to steal our attention and to cause confusion in this meeting tonight. And we bind them in the name of our Savior. And we cry, Lord, that thou will come in all of thy glory. And Father, I stand in great need of thee again tonight. I pray that you'll fill me with thy spirit. Pray, Lord, that you wouldn't allow me to say anything that would bring dishonor to thy name. And pray that indeed that we'll just be shut in with thee in the moments that we have remaining. And Father, that indeed that we would get a great, great and fresh glimpse of thy Savior. We ask it in the lovely, precious name of thy Son. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, we were thinking this morning about this great man, John, on the Isle of Patmos. And we were thinking about some of the difficulties and trials that he faced in his life, like every single one of us in this meeting tonight. And we were thinking of one thing that could happen on the Lord's day, just the way John was on the Isle of Patmos. He said that I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a great voice behind me. And we were saying this morning that on the first day of the week, just as we are gathered tonight, it's possible to hear the voice of the Savior coming and drawn graciously near. We were saying this morning that there's no voice like his voice. It's a tender voice. 
It's a gracious voice. Tonight I want to go on a little further and talk about something else that we can, could happen on the Lord's Day. Not only could you hear the Savior's voice, but you could see a fresh vision of the Savior. A fresh vision. Our brother, as he was singing tonight, every single hymn that he, or song that he sang was all about the Lord. And dear friends, tonight in the threshold of the prophecy meetings that Bertie's going to start next week on Brexit and on the beast and Britain, I know of no greater person that I could bring you to tonight than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust tonight that in some measure that we would all get in our hearts a hunger and a desire to get a fresh glimpse of him. And just to be taken up with him. We would be, as the hymn writer put it like this, we would be lost in wonder, love and praise. Just him. Here's John on the Isle of Patmos, we were saying this morning, isolated, away out 30 miles into the Mediterranean Sea. He heard a voice, but then he got a vision. Cast your eye down there to verse 12 and you'll see uh, how he turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Verse 13, and in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. I'll tell you tonight, dear friends, you go home and take that wee word there for a moment. The word midst. Wherever the Lord Jesus is in the midst, there's blessing. You take your Bible and you'll find in Matthew 18, he said, where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst. The midst. Do you know as we're sitting in this hall tonight, and as I am standing on this platform before you, there's another one here. We haven't seen him with the naked eye. The Savior himself. Where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I in them. The Savior. And John he turned and he saw one like unto the Son of Man in the midst of the golden candles. Can I take you for a moment away back to John chapter 19? I want you to see there in John chapter 19 as the Roman soldiers take uh, the Lord Jesus and those two robbers or criminals and they lead, them, they lead them to the brow of the hill. And it says when they came to the place that is called Calvary, there they crucified him. The next verse says, and he was in the midst. I'll tell you, dear friends, tonight, whenever the Lord Jesus was at Calvary, the whole events of that day revolved around him. It's all about him. I could tell you about no greater person. Just him. John goes on with his description, and not only do you find him in the midst, it says there that he was clothed with a garment down to the foot. You'll know that the high priest, he was clothed with a robe down to the foot. 
Can I take you back to Calvary for a wee moment or two? Long before thou nailed my Savior upon the, upon the cross, way before they crowned him with a crown of thorns and pulled the hairs from his cheek and spat upon his face, you know what they did with him? It says they stripped him. They stripped him. John got a vision of the risen, exalted Savior, and it says he was clothed with a garment down to the foot. Can I say a wee word to you believers tonight? Most of you are saved. The Lord Jesus for you and I tonight is our great high priest. The word of God says that seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And at this very moment, away up in heaven itself, at the right hand of God on the throne of heaven, there's a man, a risen, exalted man. You know what he's doing? He's bringing his children before his father in the place of prayer. I could stand here tonight and say to you as you go out through the door, a brother will be praying for you tomorrow. Might forget all about you. Done it many a time. I'll tell you, dear friends, there's one in the glory tonight, and he hasn't missed one of his children today yet. He ever liveth to make intercession. You'll remember the writer to the Hebrews put it like this. He said, but we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Are you going through a trial tonight? No one else may know anything about it. I'll tell you, there's only one man in the universe tonight can sympathize with you. He's on a throne in the glory, interceding on our behalf, the great high priest, Oh, can I say a word to those that are burdened and weary today? It's lovely to know that he's been bearing you up before his Father in heaven. Intercede. Pleading. On our behalf. Then he goes on and he says, not only is he clothed with a garment down to the foot, it says that he's girt about the paps with a golden girdle. And that's like a belt, as we would call it. And I was thinking of it like this. Whenever a belt's around some man's waist, it's a picture of work. You'll remember whenever Jacob, he was wrestling, the Lord touched his thigh. It's all a picture of work and of strain and stress. The Lord's work's over. The cry that left the Savior's lips on Calvary was, it's finished. And the belt's no longer around his waist, it's around his chest. Place of strength. Place of power. Can I say this to you tonight, dear friends? <clears throat> He's well able to carry you tonight. Well able to carry. The one who is girt with a golden girdle around his paps. He's the one tonight who's able to carry the great burdens of life. Listen to the scriptures. Cast your care upon the Lord, for he careth for you. Cast your burden onto the Lord, and he will sustain. There's a man in the glory tonight. 
Would to God that we would all get a fresh vision of it. There in all of his majesty. Can I say to someone in the meeting tonight, if you're not saved, there's one man and one man alone that's able to lift you out of the mire of sin. One man and one man alone that's able to transform your life, change your life. The day that you have an encounter with him, you'll never be the same again. Ah, you say to me, Stephen, I'm too far gone. I've never met a man in Ireland yet that's too hard for God. I've never met a man, I've never seen a man on the television or listened to a man on the radio that my Savior is not able to save. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not only does he gird about the paps with a golden girdle, John goes on and he says that his head and his hairs were as white as snow. Purity. You'll remember we mentioned it a few months ago, way back in the Song of Songs there. It says that his hair is as black as ravens. Now we read that his hair is as white as, white as snow. That speaks to me of the pain of Calvary. The pain that not, not, wasn't what men did to my Savior that delivered us from sin. It wasn't the nails in his hands or the thorns in his head or the spear in his side. It was whenever God his Father made his soul an offering for sin. Twelve o'clock God turned out the lights of heaven. And the sun forbid to shine. There wasn't a man in the world who saw God, the Savior die. And at twelve o'clock sharp, God took the sin of the world. My sin and your sin and the sin of every man from Adam to the end of time. And condensed it into 180 minutes, three hours, and he laid it upon his son. The wrath of God. And the pain, and the agony, and the cry, my God, my God, why? You ever ask yourself that, why? Why hast thou forsaken me? He said in Psalm 22, he said, I am a worm and I'm no man. I'm a, I'm a despised of men and I'm a reproach of the people. God manifest in the flesh. Why did he do it, friends? Why did he do it? He did it for you and for me. He did it because good works couldn't do it. He did it because religion, Protestantism, Catholicism couldn't do it. He, could, he knew it, it wasn't an idol, couldn't do it. Money couldn't do it. Listen to the word of God. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby he must, you see. White. I'll tell you tonight, dear friends, the reason sinners can't get into heaven is not because they're not good enough. The reason a man will not get in through the purdy gates of heaven is not because they haven't been sincere enough. You know why men and women will not get into heaven? Because we're not clean enough. 
were not clean. And every single one of us were born into this world. We were contaminated with sin. We were born in sin and shaping in iniquity. And thank God the only substance in the world that can make a man fit for heaven that he'll enter the pearly gates into paradise will be the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Listen to it. Cleanses him from all of his sin. All of it. I tell you tonight, dear friends, if you're depending on anything but the blood of the Savior, you're doomed to a lost eternity. His head and his hair were as white as snow. Not only does it speak of purity, it speaks of his glory. Glory. Friends, if I could take you tonight, and I have been enjoying it all week, but if we could transcend into the presence of the Savior at this very moment, we would see a man so glorified that every single one of us, we would do what John did. We would fall at his feet as dead. His glory. You remember the apostle put it like this. The same man, John, the man that was writing here in Patmos. This is what he said. We beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's some man. Glory. You'll remember there was three men that he took one day, Matthew 17, he took them up, up a mountain. Some experience. And the Lord Jesus was transfigured before them. And they got a glimpse of his glory. Those three men were never the same again. Friends, can we not agree tonight, those of us that are saved, that's what's missing in our assemblies. The glory, the glory, the glory of God. You take, for instance, Duncan Campbell, that night revival broke in the Hebrides. One thing he said, he says the whole land was saturated with the glory. The glory. The glory of God. Ah, he's white. His head and his hair were as white as snow. Quickly he goes on and he talks about his eyes. He says his eyes were as a flame of fire. The eyes of the Savior that penetrates into the very heart of man. I don't know what's in any of your hearts tonight. Those sitting beside you or behind you don't know what's in your heart. Can I say tonight, and I often say it through the tiles of this roof, it's the eyes of fire. Penetrate. And I tell you tonight, dear friends, it knows exactly what's in my heart. He knows what's in your heart tonight. He knows if you're saved or if you're not. He knows if it's a false profession or if you're backsliding, if you're just playing along. The eyes of fire. The all-seeing one. You take the seven churches in the next two chapters of this book. He says one wee phrase about them all. He says, I know. 
I know. Can I say a wee word again to a believer in the meeting? He knows exactly where you are, saint of God. He knows all about you. He knows the worries and the anxieties that pull and tug upon the strings of your heart. The eyes of fire. He knows. He knows. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. And verse 11, it says, God knoweth. God knoweth. There's another thing that God knows. You'll find it in Timothy. It says, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Are you his tonight? You see it? Really? The eyes of fire. These eyes that used to weep over Jerusalem. The eyes that wept tears and cried as he looked into the tomb of Lazarus. No more tears. Fire. Penetrating eyes of fire. Knows everything about it. He knew what I was doing this time last night. He knew, he knew, knows and he knew what you were doing this time last night. He knows what you were thinking during the week. He knows what you were saying. He knows where you were going. God knows the eyes of fire. And he goes on and he says that his feet are as fine brass that burneth in the furnace. Brass in the word of God is a picture of judgment. It's a picture of wrath. The feet that in hands and the feet of my Savior that were nailed to the cross. Those feet that trod the hot, dusty paths of Galilee. Took him one day to a woman at the well and he was weary. Took him one day to see a man at the pool of, Beth, uh, pool of Siloam. Took him one day to meet a young man under a juniper tree. His feet. But they're not nailed to a cross anymore. It says his feet were as brass burned in the furnace. You know what that tells me, dear friends? That the Lord someday very soon is going to tread his enemies under his feet. You'll find the Apostle Paul there in Romans chapter 16 and verse 20. He said this, The God of peace shall bruise Satan under his feet shortly. Shortly. Satan that causes the children of God so much, so much affliction, the one that troubles us all on a daily basis in our families, in our workplace, and in our health, the God of peace shall tread Satan under his feet shortly. Someday, the devil's going to make his match. And he's got the feet of brass. He will subdue all of his enemies. All of them. You'll know that the word of God says that he has put all things under his feet. The feet of brass. 
Then he goes on and he talks a little about his voice. He said his voice is as the sound of many waters. I'll tell you, you know what that speaks to me about, dear friends? The promises of the Savior. If you're in this meeting tonight and you're not saved, here's a promise that left the lips of the Savior just for you. Come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Here's another promise for you. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Are you going to come? Here's another promise. John 10 and 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. That's some promise, isn't it? That's what I did the day I got saved. Just entered through the door by faith. Realizing the Savior had done it all for me. Now here's a wee promise to maybe a believer in the meeting. Listen to this. Take it with you during the week. Something that left the lips and the voice of the Savior. You'll find it in Matthew 10, 20, Matthew 28 and verse 20. The last verse in Matthew's gospel. Lo, I am with you always. Into the hospital, always. Into the doctor's surgery, always. Into the workplace, always. Onto the farm, always. Lo, I am with you always. Even unto the end of the that's a lovely promise, isn't it? You'll remember that lovely promise in, Matthew, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. You could take that verse in reverse. Go back to front and it'll say the exact same thing. Listen to it as I read it to you tonight. Thee forsake, nor thee leave. Never will I. Let me say it again. Thee forsake, nor thee leave. Never will I. I'll tell you tonight, dear friends, one of the greatest joys of being saved and knowing that your sins are forgiven is this, that the Lord Jesus is with you every step of the way. Never leave. Quickly he goes on and he talks about his right hand. Verse 16, and he said, and in his right hand he had seven stars. You'll know that the right hand is a place of power, the place of authority. It's the right hand that the king or the queen would hold the scepter. It's the right hand that speaks of power and authority. Listen to Isaiah 49 and 16. Listen to these words, saint of God tonight. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hand. Graven thee. I tell you tonight, dear friends, there's hands in heaven tonight that is my name on and they're engraven in the hands of the Savior for all eternity. The hands, the hands that were nailed to the cross, 
the hands that touched the leper, the hands that raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, the hands that touched Peter's mother-in-law, the hands. Behold, I have engraven thee on the palms of my hands. Listen to the psalmist as he talks in Psalm 16. He says, In thy presence is the fullness of joy, and at thy right hand pleasures forevermore. The right hand. I'll tell you something else about his hand. You'll find the Lord Jesus in John 10. He talks about his hand again. This is what he said to the child of God. He says, I shall give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. And no man shall pluck them out of my hand. In his hands then. The hands of the Savior have got a good grip, friends. And there's times as child, children of God, we stumble and like the hymn writer put it, prone to wonder, God, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Thank God he's got a good grip on us. He's got his hand. We're engraven in the palms of his hand. Hallelujah. Ah, let me go on quickly. Talks about his mouth. We'll skip that and come down to his countenance. It says his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. Speaks of beauty. You'll remember Paul in the Damascus road. He was going to Damascus breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Going to commit a world of iniquity and sin. One day the Savior came. You know what happened? There was a light shone from heaven. The glory. The glory of the Savior. Shining like the sun in his strength. The beauty. The majesty. Of the man and the glory. Ah, the apostle had it right. That he's the light of the world. The glory. says his countenance was as a sun that shineth in his strength. You'll find a way back in Revelation chapter 22 and 16. You needn't turn to it, I'll say it to you. You'll find the description of the Lord Jesus that's most beautiful and most thrilling to the child of God. It says that he's the bright and the morning star. The bride had it right when she said this in the song of songs. Yea, he is altogether lovely. I'll tell you tonight, dear friends, I could offer you no other man in the universe tonight than the Son of God. Yea, take him and examine him as much as you want. Spend as much time in the Word of God scrutinizing him, trying to find fault or flaw. You'll never find one. Yea, he's altogether lovely. Lovely. You see this word countenance here? It's the word that you'll find in Isaiah 52 when it says that his visage, his countenance, was so marred more than any man. Now come with me for a moment as we close. You see the, lo the lovely Son of God, the sinless, spotless Savior, standing in Pilate's judgment hall, 
over 600 soldiers there. And one after another they come and they bury their clenched fist into the face of the Savior. His visage was so marred more than any man. It was far more than the sons of men. I've seen many men getting beaten. But the Lord Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. If you had went by Calvary that day and hadn't knew what happened, and you were to look at the center cross, you know what you would have said? Who is that? Is he even a man? His visage was so marred more than any man. And is far more than the sons of men. I'll tell you, dear friends, the Savior's countenance at this very moment as he sits upon the throne, his countenance shineth like the sun in the strength. His majesty, his glory, his power. No longer with the spittle on his face. No longer with the hairs that have been plucked from his cheeks. No longer with the crown of thorns upon his head. Glory. Wouldn't it do us all good if we got a fresh glimpse of him? Wouldn't it all do us good if we were to leave this meeting with solemnity and with a concern and a burden in our hearts saying, Oh God, I want to know you more. That I may know him. The power of his resurrection. Oh, to have a fresh vision of him. Look what happens in verse 17 whenever John the Apostle saw him. This is John that lay his head upon the breast of the Savior. This is John the beloved that spent three and a half years with the Son of God. It says in verse 17, And when I saw him, him, Friend, if you're going to get saved tonight, just turn off from the preacher. Get your eyes upon him. him. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first, and I am the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of hell and of death. He got a touch. He got a touch. Not only did he hear the voice and see a view, he got a visitation from heaven. You see that word, to lay the hand, to lay the right hand upon there? It's the word to lay and to grasp. If you read the Ethiopian version of that verse 17, this is what it'll say. It'll say that he took, his right, took me by his right hand and he lifted me up. Hallelujah. 
From sinking sand he lifted me. With tender hand he lifted me. Oh, from shades of night to the plains of light. Oh, praise his name. Not only does that word dare to lay the right hand upon mean that he took him by the hand and lifted him. It means when someone will put their hand upon you and listen to this now and put their arm around you. Oh, I love that friend. You've been at a funeral, I'm sure, and there's somebody who's come to you and they put their hand on you. That's nice. I'm sure you've been at times there's been someone come to you and put their hand upon you and have threw their arms around underneath and round about of the everlasting. That's why I can go out into a world tomorrow, dear friends, and knock doors and talk to people, not because I'm going in my own strength, not because of me and my knowledge, no, no, because there's one who has his right hand upon me, and he's got his arms around me. Hallelujah. Ah, John, he got a touch. And the words that came to John were this, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Evermore. Calvary's past. The shame and the pain of Calvary's past. The work has been done. I'm alive forevermore. You know, John sings a lovely, lovely song in this chapter one. We heard about it this morning. Listen to it as a close. Verse five. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What a song. And I say to you tonight, dear friends, if you're saved, thank God for the day that he saved. Thank God for the day that he took it and he inscribed your name upon the very palms of his hands. And not only did he put his hand upon you, but he put his arm around you and never let you go. Lo, I am with you always. Even unto the end of thee. If you're in this meeting tonight and you're not saved, you come to him. Come to the one that spread his arms on Calvary. Come to the one who gave himself a ransom for you and for me. Oh, listen to it as a close. He or she that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast him. It's all about him. A million years from now, those of us that are saved and we bask in the glory of heaven, you know what we'll be doing? We'll be singing about him, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Would you be there? Oh, I wonder, will you be there? A fresh glimpse of him.
There would be none of us ever the same again. Let us pray. Father, as we just tell ourselves at the end of another meeting, our hearts are taken up with worship and adoration for the man at thy right hand. He who could say, I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. We thank thee that he's our high priest who ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's the one that knows all about us. He's the one that holds us in his right hand, the place of authority and the place of power. The cry of the preacher's heart tonight would be for himself, his father that I would get to know him more, and be taken up with him. We pray for those in the meeting tonight that may not know him, our desire and the craving of our heart would be that they wouldn't leave this meeting in this room tonight before they had come to the Savior himself, the most gracious, tender man that ever lived. We thank you for him. We pray for your children tonight that are going out into another world, of another week of work and toil and worry. We thank thee that we can stand with confidence and boldness here tonight and say that your hand not only will be upon them, but thank God your arm will be around them. We pray, Lord, as we part, that you'll take us to our homes and safety. We ask it in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Lord bless you.